You're listening to K&J Recaps. Okay, hey guys. Um, thank you so much for tuning in to our first ever Kim and Jess podcast. Yay. Uh, yay. Uh, so, I am Kim. I am Jess. Uh, we are uh, TV junkies. And we also love discussing TV. So we have always discussed amongst ourselves. Um, we are also avid podcast listeners. So we just figured, why not put a microphone in front of our faces and uh, record the conversations we're having anyway? Exactly. This is already being done. We are just throwing our hat into the podcasting ring. So here we go. Yes. So first ever. Um, so we have decided to start with the new Netflix show called Stranger Things. It just debuted on July 15th, starring Winona Ryder. Absolutely. Uh, so this show getting lots of hype. We are a little bit behind uh, the um, the start date in terms of like getting our podcast off the ground. So I have actually um, spoken to a number of people who have started to watch the show, and uh, we're going episode by episode discussing in length. Um, so Jess and I have only watched the first episode because we want to ensure that we're talking uh, about each episode without future knowledge. So, uh, but having heard from some other people who've, who've watched ahead, I'm hearing really good things. Yes, I am also, and it is certainly hard to stop after the first episode. Well, the second episode is <laughs> queued up and ready to play. Yeah, um, Netflix yeah. was made for binge watching, <laughs> yes. and we are watching one episode at a time. Exactly. So, <laughs> good to get this one recorded, and we can move on to episode two. That's right. Um, so, uh, that said, for anyone who might have tuned in and has not already watched Stranger Things Episode 1, you are going to be spoiled a lot in this uh, podcast. So, go back and watch the episode before you listen, because we are going to be going through scene by scene. So, uh, fair warning. Absolutely. Um, okay, so we may as well just jump right in. Um, so, if you haven't heard of Stranger Things, um, the... Uh, it is a 80s throwback that both Jess and I are pretty excited about being, uh, you know, 80s film fans. Uh, so we start in uh, 1983, Indiana. We're at the Hawkins National Library, a U.S. Department of Energy. So we see a scientist. He is bursting through some kind of metal door. Uh, he's obviously terrified. There's an alarm sounding and uh, he gets snatched up by some kind of unseen creature and uh, screaming as he is pulled off screen. Yes. So we start off with a, like a bit of a thriller vibe. Definitely. Um, yeah. You know, you've got that long hallway and that great kind of long shot while he's trying to, um, you know, wait for the elevator. Just such a, a, you know, great horror film kind of trope in terms of, you know, trying to escape, but so fruitlessly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I actually wrote down, I was like, where are the stairs? I really feel like the stairs would have been a better choice. <laughs> the elevator. Somewhere in this hallway, there has to be a staircase. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so uh, so we're off with a kind of an exciting start, but there's a quick cut to uh, a suburban house. We're still in the cold open at this point. The yep. um, credits have not aired yet. So a quick cut to a suburban house, and we see... Four preteens. We will um, eventually learn that these four are sort of our main characters. Uh, they are um, probably, I'd say, 11 or 12, would you say? Yeah, that's probably pretty good. Yep. And they are playing a very um, lively game of Dungeons and Dragons. Like, did kids play it this actively? Because that was like another thing that really struck me is just how, I mean, I know these are a group of four very special kids as we get to see they you know, really get into, you know, the game as well as kind of their other interests. But it was lively is a is a good description for it, for sure. For sure. Yeah, yeah. We, do, we, um, we do hear that they've been playing it for 10 hours. Yes, this is true. <laughs> and yet still this lively. But yes. That's right. Um, there is a lot of talk about a Demogorgon. Uh, yes. I never played Dungeons and Dragons. I do not know what a Demogorgon is. No, but I... or a Troglodyte, although I know it is Dungeons and Dragons. So Yes. yes. Uh, I do feel I get the impression that the Demogorgon is not great news. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it did uh, seem that way. <laughs> for yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so they're, uh, they're playing Dungeons and Dragons, uh, and then uh, Mike, uh, so the R4 are uh, Mike, Lucas, 
uh, Dustin and Will. Will. Uh, and Mike's mom uh, sends everybody home uh, before they are finished their 10-hour Dungeons & Dragons game. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's past at bedtime. they got to go home. So all the kids jump on their bikes. Uh, and start to head home. So um, the the um, the lights flash when they get on their their bikes to to head home. The lights on the garage flash off and on. And there's also sort of like a sound effect when they all turn on their headlamps on the front of their bikes. Yes, and definitely a cue of like the whole electricity thing. I mean, obviously we woke, we opened in an electrical or U.S. Department of Energy. Yes. The lights in the hallway in that initial opening scene obviously play a big role because they're kind of flickering. I totally picked up on the same thing. The lights over the carport, I think, as he's like seeing them off. Um, it's just kind of like the start of definitely a big thing to do with electricity, electricity. and lighting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're definitely going to see more of that. But yeah, like they, they really did, um, you know, throw that in from the get-go. So uh, yeah. Uh, we both both picked up on that because yep. uh, I think it's going to be, you know, something that's going to continue to play out throughout the, the series. Um, so at this point, what they're like, they're they're biking home, and this is the first that we start to hear of the um, of the music. Um, yes, and I love it. It's this really great music. Yeah, synth heavy. Okay, so you have to help me. So we at this point we're hearing um, the 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 music starting to kind of play in the background as the scene continues to play out. But once the credits start to roll, it's when you really kind of hear the whole um, the whole thing, and it's so familiar to me. And I don't know if it's just because it's such a throwback of nostalgia for, you know, 80s soundtracks type, you know, type deal, or if it, if there is something specific that, uh, that I'm thinking of. Did did you get that feeling? Yeah. Although I think it did recall something very specific for me, which I don't think is probably what you're thinking, but not so much in that intro piece, but when they bring the synth again in throughout the episode, there's pieces of it that remind me so much of the synth that is used throughout Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou, the billboard. Yeah. And they kind of like, I mean, you know, Wes Anderson movies are always so timeless and you never know when exactly they're set, but that I watched it maybe last month again and it is a favorite movie, but, um, they have this kind of like synth beat kind of that plays throughout while they're over, um, different scenes and it really kind of threw that back for me um but that's other like than when, that when i could think of running across the beach when they're that's right yes, yeah i know exactly <laughs> the scene i love that movie when you had like that little keyboard in the 80s that did both drums and like synth noises and yeah. that that little thing so i i would not i would not have gone to Zoo <laughs> yeah, on, right, <laughs> yeah. on that one but now i can totally hear it now that you have mentioned it so any, any listeners who have not watched Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou, um, if you are a Wes Anderson fan or a Bill Murray fan, um, a great Which is kind watch. of the same thing. Yeah, yeah that's then, one of the yeah, same. Yeah. Exactly. You will, yeah, enjoy. Um, okay, so on the way home, uh, you know, uh, all the kids are kind of going their different directions. Dustin is racing Will. Will races ahead. And before you know it, Will is on his own on the street. Um uh, heading home. So we see him pass a sign and it's a sign for the laboratory, the Hawkins laboratory that we saw in, uh, in the cold open. And it also says that it is, um, a restricted area to keep out, but he breezes on by and, and soon the light on his, um, bike flickers and then goes out. And then he sees the silhouette of some kind of alien type creature in the state, in the street. Yeah. It's like, you know, tall, thin, really long arms, like really alien. Yeah, big kind of shoulders. And I think just, you know, going back to that whole scene home, my first initial thought was, oh, my God, how are these kids allowed to, you know, bike home? And then I kind of thought back to my own upbringing in the early 90s in a small town where not much happened. And you you really were, you know, and so it kind of goes from being fun at the house and then it, they have this great race and they do a great job of transitioning into creepy very quickly yes. you know and it goes from this was just in something they probably did most nights of the week to you know that scene you're right where he's he sees whatever this monster is for the first time all of the fog has come in yeah. 
Um, I really and- felt like you um, 100% I agree and I felt like they really picked up on that you know throughout the episode they, yeah they really did the suspense well and although they built the suspense in a really short amount of time it was still really impactful and yes. and there was lots of light moments there was lots of like moments where I was like you know so caught up in nostalgia it just was it was really feel good and then you know before you know it it is you know um, a thriller absolutely yes yeah, so he has that, you know, scrambles into his house um, after having seen this monster, yells for his family. I have written down scariest home ever because that house just <laughs> looks so creepy. <laughs> so, and I wasn't sure if he was calling for like a mom and boyfriend who was missing. You know, he yells a bunch of names. You don't yet know who that's going to be. Um, but yeah, I was like, is this, you know, deadbeat parents who aren't home um, kind of leaving him? It turns out to be a bit different. But yeah. obviously he has, you know, a pretty young kid arriving home to no one there with something very terrifying behind him. So, yes. And yeah. so yeah, no, no one is home. As you mentioned, he looks out the window and the creature is there. It is like, you know, in the distance with the fog rolling in. It's followed him home. So he um, he locks the door with a chain lock uh, from the inside. Uh, and then tries to make a phone call, and it's just like static and like weird noises on the phone. Mm-hmm. He can't make a call. The rotary dialing of the nine one one, not as convenient as the no, no so the true. touch tone that would come later. <laughs> it's, it's like it's taking five minutes <laughs> to right. call nine one one. It should be two one one, not nine one one. That's right. Yeah, the nine takes a long time. That's one. right. <laughs> Um, so while he's trying to call, uh, the, the chain on the door, um, is opened from the outside. So, you know, without, without any, uh, any hands to move it, it, uh, it, it unlocks itself. So, uh, Will is pretty, pretty scared at this point. Uh, (laughs) Freaked out, yeah. Yeah, totally freaked out, as you would be. Mm-hmm. So he uh, runs out the back and he goes to the shed. He gets a gun. This this actor, I don't know the name of the actor who plays Will, but he just did such a great and convincing job of his terror, especially in the shed when he was just shaking. He was trying to put yes. bullets in the gun. Like, really well done. Yes. And I mean, it's it's quite the decision to go in there and, you know, turn around and face whatever is following you with a gun. Because I even thought that, you know, I'm like, this is... Definitely yeah. a brave little kid to yeah, you know, rather not... than continue to run, he's like making yeah, a stand. Exactly. Um, of course, which turns out to be fruitless because this monster somehow likes to get behind people rather than <laughs> the way you through, expect it to. Yeah, through doors. And That's right. I mean, yeah, obviously something otherworldly about this thing. Uh, yeah. So while he's like got the gun pointed at the door, waiting to make his stand, uh, the lights. Uh, sort of flares the light bulb flares and we see you know a shadow coming up behind him and this like alien insecty type noise again yeah that same noise from the elevator so yeah and then uh, and then the shed is empty um so will has been taken by this this uh this creature and uh and then credits so cue credits yeah, that great, great open with those credits. I mean, everything was just perfectly on. The font, I mean, I don't even know Stephen what font King. that is. Stephen yeah. King font is what that is to me. That is so, yeah, absolutely. With the, you know, just the way it appears, the design of the, if anyone hasn't seen what like the kind of poster or main image looks like, it itself is also just a great callback. Um, it's kind of, it's all hand-drawn, looks very actually Star wars Totally. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, the font of of Stranger Things itself. Just a you know, great music, great kind of font and design. Yeah. Is Stephen King involved in this project actually? Do you know? That is a great question. I if he is, I'm not sure. I, I feel like it's a project that I would like totally see him being involved yeah. in. And I feel like that font that they used for for the credits, it's like I think it's virtually identical to the stand. Like it's really, really um, Stephen Stephen King esque. Yeah. Well, that even up. that open that opening, you know, is so, you know, him too. With you really don't know what it is, and you're kind of just getting glimpses. And yeah, it's if it isn't him, then it's certainly someone, you know, working off that concept, which again is very 80s, right? I mean, there's a totally Stephen King and a big 80s influence there. 
And then also an interesting decision, actually, mentioning Stephen King with the chapter titles, because every episode is yes. a different chapter, right. very liter- literary kind of call out, um, which is interesting. And actually, I just heard they you know, they recently announced the new Star Trek TV show. Okay. That they're going to play, and and they were talking about it at Comic Con, and um, whoever I think it was J.J. Abrams was on a panel, and he said it's not going to be episodic. And William Shatner said, "What do you mean? What other way is there to do it?" And he said, "It will unfold like chapters of a book," which I thought it was so funny, given. And then watching this, you know, a day later, it's um, it made me kind of think: Is it going to be when he references that and says it's that instead of episodic? Do you mean you kind of get a little bit more jumping around? You know how books can kind of go back and forth. You didn't see very much playing with time in this first episode, but mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see what the chapters, if that means anything more than it just kind of progresses in a yeah that's linear fashion. And oftentimes, like chapters in a book, it will take place from different. Um, points of view right yep so um you know in this one i mean i don't know if uh if if i felt like this was heavily weighted in a a certain character's point of view because we got perspectives from the kids we got perspectives from uh, will's mom joyce and whatever um but just in terms of like star trek for instance i mean i wonder if uh that's something that they could play around with is sort of the um the main the main character of a given episode might change week by week yeah, it'll be, I'm sure it's not for nothing. I mean, it's a very, you know, definitive decision to title them in the way they are. They make, it makes them quite lengthy episode titles. And for uh, sure. yeah. And so this one is entitled Chapter One, The Disappearance of Will Byrne. <laughs> Which was covered before you see the title. So it's not, right. not a spoiler. Yeah. <laughs> Will has disappeared. This is why the title comes so far into the first episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. Uh, okay, so once we go through the credits, we are in a messy house, lots of beer cans. Uh, uh, who we soon will find out is the sheriff has uh, just uh, awoken, I think, like midday <laughs> he's definitely late for work so yeah 100 yeah. percent uh so he um he is uh i don't know getting ready for work chugging back beer while getting ready uh that's uh pretty much all we kind of see of him and then it cuts to will's mom joyce who is winona Ryder. Uh, she's getting ready for work. She's uh, hectic and disheveled, and she's asking Jonathan, who is the her older son, uh, whether he's gotten Will up from uh, for school yet. And that's when they discover that Will didn't come home last night. And do we know what she does for a job? I, if we found that out, I didn't pick it up. She's wearing some sort of yeah, no uniform shirt or something. But no, I don't think that it said. I don't think that it said. I got, I mean, yeah, she's definitely wearing a uniform of some kind. I'm not sure. I kind of like automatically thought of, of scrubs. Like I thought she looked kind of like, kind of like scrubs, but I didn't really pick it up. Yeah. And she definitely references that she's working a lot. And then we also find out, of course, that, um, Jonathan, the older brother, um, he doesn't know if Will got home because he was working and there's a dispute there. Um, because Joyce has obviously told him that she doesn't want him working while she's working, but this is why there was no one at home last night for Will to come home to. Right, exactly. Uh, so at um, at Hawkins Middle School, so the the Will's three friends, Dustin, Lucas, and Mike, are surprised that he doesn't come to meet them. Uh, they have an encounter with uh, with some '80s bullies. <laughs> uh, oddly, I felt like it was kind of strange that this the the bullying sort of like um came to a head when they insisted that dustin crack his or t- yeah he's obviously double jointed or something right. move his shoulders and elbows weirdly yeah uh so i mean so no uh no no pushing around or anything like that a little name calling and then uh display of double jointedness and that was that was it for the bully encounter and the very specific call out for the medical reasons of dustin's you know lisp and and missing yes. front teeth yes which yes. was i didn't very specific get, yeah get the name but it was like a legit medical term exactly yeah um so i think that essentially I mean, his, he's saying his teeth are coming. It's just yeah. maybe a little, maybe a little uh, later than most. Which gives him that great voice. I mean, he's definitely, you know, quite the character. Yeah, he was of... like, he was a standout for me. He's the comedic relief. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I expect in the show. Yeah. 
Um, yes, and then there is a cut to uh, Nancy, the uh, sister of... Mike. Uh, Mike, thank you. Yeah. Uh, but with the, obviously with a friend, we're finding out there's some sort of love interest there. Uh, she opens her locker and I love the note that, you know, it says meet me in the bathroom as if there's only one bathroom in a middle school. Like I was, Absolutely, <laughs> like, yes. Awesome. what bathroom do you go to? <laughs> you go to the wrong one. And which one? Boys or girls? Like right. it's in, you, you aren't going to go to the same one. So a, cu- a cut scene is Nancy checking every bathroom <laughs> in school. Steve? Leave um, more specific please. notes. Yeah, <laughs> I really liked her friend. I hope there is more of that friend. Yes, um, and so we did. Great. We glazed over just a little. Like we we yeah. jumped over it in the beginning, but we did. This isn't the first time that we met Nancy. We met her really briefly when Dustin offers her a slice of pizza after they finish their Dungeons and Dragons game, and then she uh, uh, slams the door in his face. And then there's like a little a uh, little moment where um, where Dustin is like. Mike, your sister's got to stick up her butt. <laughs> yeah, there's the mo- obviously, you know, Nancy, when she was younger, used to be a bit more interested in entertaining them, and yeah. teenagehood has taken all of that away. That's right. Uh, but they do, they, they do seem to be at that crucial moment where Nancy is, you know, a bona fide teenager and legit interested in boys, and she's got this little brother who's, you know, playing Dungeons and Dragons for 10 hours in the basement. I can imagine it causes a bit of a rift between the two of them, so. You're like, you know what, Dustin? No, I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, so yeah, I'd love, I'd love to have both Nancy and her friend, whose name I didn't catch, I don't think it was said, but yeah. they look like such normal teenagers, 80s teenagers, granted, but yeah. Um, with I some mean, impressive acid wash jeans. Wow. You know, wow. Yeah. And the glasses and the hair. Yeah. And, you know, Nancy's knee socks, you know? Yes. Yes. They yeah, just absolutely. look really authentically 80s and not sort of this, um, I don't know, like, like uh, over, over sexed 30 year olds who are playing sort of, you know, 80s characters. They just look like real kids wearing what actual 80s kids would wear in that in that time yeah and i think you know we kind of discussed this before um the podcast but the production and how they've treated lighting and things like that it is you know we kind of talked about sitcoms being one of the places where you do see a lot of dated you know 80s things and because it doesn't have that glaring you know kind of artificial feel to it it has a much more realistic it's obviously got a filter that's really toning down Mm -hmm. some of the crazy colors um lots of blues and browns I think that that's really helping, too, to lend to that more authentic feel rather than caricature-esque, which I think the 80s is so easy to go into no matter what. Yes. So to make it really campy. And, yes. Yeah. And and um, so, I mean, one of one of my favorite, like, new sitcoms, I actually don't watch a lot of sitcoms. I, you know, especially not ones with, I don't watch anything, like, with a laugh track. I just, yes. It's just not my thing. But yeah. um, one of the best new sitcoms that I've been watching is The Goldbergs. Have you? Oh, yes. Yeah. I haven't watched it yet, but okay. I know what you're talking about. It's really good. And ultimately, it's like The Wonder Years, but yep. but for the next generation. So it takes place in the 80s and whatever. And that's, like, a really fun and really funny show. And that's a perfect example. I know it's obviously not the same genre as Stranger, Stranger Things, but it's a really good example of, you know, kind of, um, the really extreme campy version of the 80s where it's all like neon and snap bracelets and jelly shoes and you know like the real 80s stereotypes yeah absolutely um, and this one you're right it's just like it really feels authentic um, it doesn't feel like what 80s looked like in 17 magazine it was just like what real kids would look like um, yeah, so Nancy and her friend are talking about Steve Harrington, uh, her, her, her current crush, yeah. uh, who she's going to meet in the bathroom. And uh, and then we cut to uh, the sheriff, who has finally made it into work. Uh, everyone is like, thanks for joining us. <laughs> so he's obviously pretty late. I'm pretty sure he's uh, a few beers in. Um, but Joyce is waiting for him to fill a miss- out a missing persons report. So they have a, you know, a real back and forth where he is um, confident that Will is just playing hooky or maybe he's with um, Joyce's ex-husband, but she is adamant, like not her Will. This is, it, it isn't something that he would do. He has to be missing. 
Yeah. And I, I think we get some great, you know, I, I really, I don't know. I, I mean, I've seen the actor who plays Hopper is uh, David Harbour. And I've seen him in a few things, but I kind of gravitated to him. I kind of liked him right from when we started seeing him. But yeah, he comes in late. He obviously does not take this job overly seriously. He's told that, you know, Nancy's in waiting for, or at least wants to file a missing person. So I don't think he knows that, or Joyce rather, sorry, is in um, ready to file this missing persons. He's kind of like, ah, I need coffee first after he's already come in so late. Yeah. Um, she obviously knows him. We're talking a, quite a small town, obviously. And I think you get the impression that they know each other outside of him just being um, you know, the sheriff For sure. she uh, in town. Him, she calls him by his yeah. his name, Hopper. Yeah. I don't know if that's first or last, but she calls him Hopper. They, yes, they definitely know each other. Yeah, Obviously. and so you kind of get this impression that he's kind of like, ah, you're right. You know, he has the 99 of, out of 100 times, it's going to be, you know, a family member has him or he's fine. And yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So I do think you, it's kind of a scene setting for Hopper that um, I think kind of shifts a little bit later uh in the episode so it's a good kind of formulaic you know he's and he also mentions too that nothing else nothing bad ever happens there like it exactly. you know what's i can't remember his example of the worst thing that, oh a, a hawk trying to like attack, oh, attack an old lady's actually, hair or something yeah so i actually noted this because i thought it was really interesting i may be really guilty of reading too much into this but there is apparently a really famous um murder um mystery where um the the claim is that um the the woman died by owl attack and the owl attacked her hair um you know thinking i guess in theory thinking it was a nest it was a nest that's (laughs) amazing isn't that crazy so i didn't know if that was just coincidence or if uh if that was like a deliberate sort of uh, throw to that. Um, well, if that's an epic Easter egg, then you just found it, Kim. That's very <laughs> impressive. Oh my god, either an epic <laughs> Easter egg that I just found, or entirely unrelated, and I should stop overanalyzing everything. Or the producers and writers are like, yeah, absolutely. It was it was that thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah of course, it was that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so obviously, Hopper does not generally have a very busy day in police work. In Hawkins, he says nothing, nothing goes on there. Um, Okay, so cut to uh, a bunch of men in black, men in suits, uh, that are headed into the laboratory from uh, the cold open. They're in hazmat suits. It's all been quarantined off. They're armed with guns, and they're going into uh, the area where we saw the scientist snatched from the beginning. Um, So they're seeing all of this sort of, like, organic material all over the walls. Yeah, and, like, they kind of look like burn marks or scorch marks, kind of. Like, I I mean, you're obviously not supposed to really figure out what it is. But, yeah, it's kind of, to me, it looked like a combination of of burns and maybe getting back to that electrical thing, like scorch marks, like how lightning would leave, you know, a mark. And then absolutely organic material weirdly stuck to the walls, too. And I watched it, when I watched the episode for the second time, I watched it with the closed captioning on. Um, because I'd like to yes. catch anything that I might have missed. And when they were looking at that organic material on the walls, the closed caption was like squishy or something. <laughs> <laughs> it was definitely like there was something to indicate that it was like slimy in some way. Or Okay. Um, well, and then, of course, you turn the corner and then you really do see sliminess. I mean. Yes. It's like this giant. It's cocoon? like a, a root system almost where it's like yeah. branching out. Yeah, I definitely had, like, cocoon in my mind. Like, something stuck to the wall that something came out of, but very, And it's, like, pulsing, like it has a heartbeat. Yes. Yeah, and kind of lit up. Like, it, yeah. 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 And so they say, too, they say, uh, one of the guys says to the the Matthew Modine character, I don't know his name, but he's obviously the leader of the the men in black. Dr. Brenner. Oh, is that his name? Yes. Um, So they say... He says, like, is this where it came from? And the other guy says, yes. Right. And he says, and the girl. And he says, she can't have gone far. So. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, yeah. dun, dun. Mystery. Yeah. Uh, which then takes us to the next scene where we see a uh, barefoot girl, dirty hospital gown. Her head is shaved. She's about the same age, probably I would say 11 or 12, as the other kids in the show. And she is, uh, she sneaks into sort of like a rural diner and she's uh, stealing food because she's, she's starving. 
And, you know, definitely a very unique looking character, like a, a very androgynous. Her head is shaved. So yeah. that is part of the reason. I mean, she's quite young, but her features are so striking, um, you know, and plus she's walking around in a hospital gown. So that also does it. But yeah, I find it was it was quite the picture. Yes, for sure. And then so she is caught by the uh, the diner owner slash cook who we find out later whose name is Benny. And so um, Benny catches him and says, uh, you know, like, how dare you steal from me, boy? And then he looks at her a little bit closer and realizes it's a girl. Yeah. So, yeah. Like, uh, um, you know, a really beautiful and androgynous um, girl. And then interesting also, too, because, I mean, food, obviously, she's got an interesting thing with food, as we see. But even the way when she first sees those fries, she walks in the kitchen and then she samples the fries if she's never had one before. Yes, I made note of that, too. It's like, yeah. has she never had a French fry before? And then suddenly, two-handedly, just, like, cramming as many fries into her face as she possibly can. And so I definitely felt the sense of, like, this is not food that she has seen before. Yeah, for sure. Um, and she, yeah, already just in like the, the few moments that we have met her at this point, she's obviously really skittish. Um, and, uh, you know, this appears to kind of be all, all new to her. Um, so we cut back to the middle school where Dustin, Mike, and Lucas are being shown a new transistor radio. We find out they are members of the AV club. With some great Australian accents. I thought that scene was really cute. <laughs> I thought it was adorable. What was it, what was it that Dustin said? Oh. Uh, do you eat kangaroo breakfast? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and like the biggest radio ever. Like it took up the entire desk. Yeah. It was just. Giant. Yeah. yeah, I find them really endearing. And then the next scene actually I, I thought was adorable too so the principal come and comes and uh, pulls them out at their um, AV radio play uh, to um, to answer some questions from the sheriff who is uh, trying to get to the bottom of where Will is and they are hilariously unhelpful in the details that they're providing uh, apparently the street which I assume is the one that Will cuts through the restricted area um, yes. one is the one that they're referring to when um, they have a made-up name for that one. Yes. Well, made up from <laughs> The Lord of the Rings, actually The Hobbit, and there's a, then a great fight between the two of them on that. Right, and some punching back and forth. <laughs> That's right. What's the difference? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah so, uh, and they offer to help uh, the sheriff on his search for Will, but he shuts them down uh, pretty harshly. Uh, nobody is allowed out after school. They have to go directly home and no, they're not allowed to help. Uh, so then we see Joyce in a flashback who he's, um, she's going to uh, Will's Fort in the woods and she gives the secret password and is allowed in. And so uh, she gives him poltergeist tickets. Uh, and he says that uh, he will not have nightmares if he goes to see it. So I think that's just like a sweet moment in the past and then cut to present day where yeah. Joyce and Jonathan are looking for, for Will and his fort and it's empty. Yes, definitely a lot of woods are going to play, I think, a big role in the entire season because, you know, an extremely rural town and already there's a lot of search scenes in creepy Blair Witch-esque, you know, woods with dry leaves, etc. So yeah. it's kind of the yelling his name over and over again into the distance and yeah. Yeah, for sure. Which, to me at least, I mean, to to me, I feel like the dark woods is like both a great place, um, you know, like for uh, sort of suspenseful thriller type stuff to happen, but then also a really great setting for like childhood adventures. Um, yes. Where you know, so we do. Uh, I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, but like spoiler alert: the the kids do actually decide to go hunting for Will. And there's this, like, really amazing moment where they're, like, stuffing their backpack filled with walkie-talkies and, uh, you know, they're headed out to the woods, you know, for their adventure to try to find their friend. And that was, like, really nostalgic, too. Like, Absolutely, which have always been a really, really safe place. And, again, getting back to the fact that nothing bad ever happens here in... Hawkins, but until now, so until yeah. Until now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we go back to the diner where um, Benny is uh, feeding uh, the girl and uh, is trying to get some information out of her, but she is not talking. Uh, he suspects that maybe she was she ran away because she was being abused, and 
Um, but she she won't speak. And it's only when she um, when he kind of threatens to to take the burger away and uh, will only give it back when <clears throat> when she uh, gives him some information that she starts to open up a little bit. He um, sees the number eleven on her arm and uh, and asks what it means. And she indicates that she is eleven. Eleven is eleven means her. Yeah, like looks like some sort of little tattoo or something and um, doesn't seem that language or at least English is something that she really has because, yeah, very primitively says, you know, that she is 11. Yeah, just like through gestures, but you're right. I mean, she's mm-hmm. not not speaking in full sentences. At one point, too, I mean, so he sees the tattoo of 11 on her arm and he says, what is this? And she said, no. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then he says, okay, well, you know, I'm going to take the burger if you don't give me more information. And then she indicates that 11 means her. Right. Yeah. So um, limited language there for sure. Um, and then we also see her, there's a kind of ancient rattling fan. And of course that scene ends with her looking up at that fan that's causing this kind of annoying sound and stopping it with a glare (laughs) basically it yeah like i mean definitely a telepathic yeah you know a telepathic event and she then she just keeps on eating like as if nothing happened it is not uh it's not unusual it it appears to her i mean she yeah that, that was her intention was to stop the fan and she did it and then she kept eating her burger yeah um, incredibly energetically all of the eating is done as if she has not eaten in quite some time or at least maybe not eaten food that good yeah yeah for sure um so benny is in the other room and he has called social services and is telling them that he thinks that he has an abused runaway and gives the address for someone to come and and pick her up then uh and then we're back to the sheriff so he and his men are out looking for will uh he's he's so so in this scene he takes a prescription pill and we saw him take a pill um, in the very beginning uh, yes. when he's getting ready to, for, for work as well. So, I mean, I feel like they, they pointed that out a couple of times, so I wouldn't be surprised if that's something that comes back up at some point. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and they find Will's bike in the ditch where he, um, where he fell when he saw the creature off the, you know, in the wooded area. He starts running through the woods after he ditches the bike and leaves it there. Uh, so Hopper comments that uh, that that bike is like a Cadillac to one of those kids, and that he wouldn't have just left it there if he um, if he didn't have to. Um, so it's really in this scene that I get the impression that Hopper is really starting to take things more seriously. Like finding that bike is an indication that something isn't right with Will. I agree, and I think it also starts off a great scene of realizing that Hopper is more skilled than you may have initially been led to believe, given his you know, early behavior, like he's not some useless kind of country cop who doesn't know what he's doing, because I think you're right, he realizes it's a bit more serious. And then I find that, you know, the next scene that we're going to go into, um, he's really kind of in the mode and discovers a lot of things. For sure. And so, uh, although I think that there are some things in his personal life that we're going to have a little bit more um, to talk about in this episode later on, but those things may be impacting, you know, uh, his his drinking, possibly these prescription yeah. pills that he's taking, I don't know. But like in terms of his lack of professionalism, if you will, in the beginning, I mean, that might have something to do with the fact that it might be really boring to be a, ho- a cop in Hawking most of the time. I agree. I mean, this is, you're right. I mean, if that's the most exciting thing that's happened, then, you know, there isn't much going on and you can become really complacent, but he obviously turns it right back on again as he goes into the house for sure and i do really like that like i am glad that they didn't go with some sort of like bumbling yes um you know small town trope of a sheriff who is ultimately sort of an antagonist where he is like obtuse um you know to the point of denying any wrongdoing despite evidence that might mount you know what I mean? that kind of character that i'm talking absolutely. about absolutely yeah where they're just more harm than good and you have to fight them more than you have to even figure out what's going on and yeah yeah uh yeah so i'm really glad they didn't go in that direction and we're starting to see that in this scene when um he when he makes that um discovery of will's bike um so next we have a really interesting scene where we have a room full of people all with headphones on it's like a bank of people all listening in to various 
conversations. Um, so they're listening into phone calls and taking notes, and someone is listening into a call that is currently being made um, by Joyce to her ex-husband Lonnie, uh, yes. asking him if he knows anything about um, what's happened to Will. Yeah. So that is some conspiracy level stuff going on right there. I don't. I yeah. Don't know. What are your initial thoughts on who these people are? I don't know. At first, I thought, is it that he works in some sort of, you know, Lonnie works in some sort of really secretive place, but then it's the girlfriend who answers when she calls him. So it doesn't seem like it's, you know, he's not at like the Pentagon or something crazy. Um, yeah. I mean, it looked, it felt like an old school madman switchboard, you know, where all yeah. the like girls are just connecting the calls, but it's the eighties. So that wasn't really the case. Uh, like, no. And there's very clearly, you know, so there's one woman in particular who, you know, I think in, in the way that it shot, we know that she is listening to Joyce's call and she's, right. you know, smoking a cigarette and taking notes on a notepad. And it, like, yeah. it, it's pretty clear to me, at least that the sole purpose is to gather information from the calls that they're listening to. Yeah. And, um, without kind of like, without kind of jumping ahead too much, but, but given that uh, hopefully everyone who's listening to this podcast would have already watched the episode, not really a spoiler, but um, you know, at a later point in the episode, when we discover that, you know, the a woman who shows up at the diner um, telling Benny that she is a social worker and that ends up not being the case. Yes. I thought that, it has to be this same sort of clandestine organization, whoever it is, that is both listening to, into Joyce's phone call and then potentially also listen to Benny's where he was giving the address. Absolutely. I think that's a really great point. Very kind of like network of, you know, something going on yeah. um, with that. So, yeah, I mean, obviously we'll we'll get a... I'm sure that will come back out again, but it was a, it is a really quick scene too. Yes. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, intriguing that one. I'm excited to find out, you know, what, what that is all about. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, so yeah, Joyce uh, is overheard um, calling Lonnie. He actually gets her girlfriend, girlfriend hangs up, not really very helpful there. Uh, and then the sheriff arrives with Will's bike. So things are starting to get serious. And, uh, and then the sheriff, he is um, clearly looking around Joyce's house for, for clues. He has deduced that, you know, Will had a key to the house and the bike was not found too far away. So he thinks that Will came back to the house and he does discover some clues um, indicating that Will might have come back, you know, sort of the, where the, there's a notch in the wall where the door was banged open. Yeah, and indicates that he's moving, you know, really quickly too, right? Like I think it he was able to locate the clues that really show that frantic scramble through the house that Will went through, mm -hmm. um, which I think really helps bring to light that, you know, something, he didn't just kind of come home and make himself, you know, a sandwich and sit yeah. on the couch <laughs> and disappear. He, something else was going on. Yeah, for sure. And then he notices the dog is barking at the shed in the back where Will was taken. So he picks on that, he picks up on that um, right away and uh, Hopper goes right back into the shed and he sees the empty gun rack immediately. Yep. Uh, and then the uh, the light goes out, light bulb flashes and, uh, and he's in the dark. And then with a the flashlight, he sees some more sort of evidence of a struggle, broken boards and that sort of thing that he, he seems to find pretty suspicious. Yeah, and he kind of touches a point in the wall and then the light bulb. Like there's definitely weird, again, going back to that electricity theme, um, there's just something very strange going on with, yeah. But it's like he touches a hook and the whole light bulb thing happens. And then, yeah, I couldn't really tell what he was looking at in the corner there. So I couldn't either. I thought that it was just sort of like broken boards and stuff, but I didn't know if there was more yeah. than that. And then interestingly, so then also uh, he's looking at these boards and he's like all engrossed in it. And then he, one of his men, one of the other police officers, all of a sudden lights come back on the police officer officer is like, you know, Hopper, Hopper, what are you Jeff? I've been calling you for ages. And, uh, you know, he didn't, he was completely zoned in, or zoned out and didn't didn't hear his name being called at all. Yeah, as you are as the viewer, right? Like we don't get any of those cues that someone's calling him. We get we get just as scared as he does by the guy who finally opens the door. You know, that's a real kind of 
jump scare moment there. And um, yeah, you can't tell if like some time has passed, but definitely that there has been, you know, nobody's been able to hear the yelling. You're completely caught in this shed where things are going weird. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, and clearly Hopper, as he comes out of the shed, like he's shaken. And he, and he, realizes that um, something's really wrong, I think, at this point. He calls for a search party immediately um, to, to go out and start looking for Will. So, I mean, he doesn't he doesn't share with his men or with Joyce, you know, the, the step-by-step of how he concluded that, you know, things, things are looking strange, but he just walks out of that shed and he's like, let's get a search party. Absolutely, now. yep. Uh, so we are then at Mike's uh, dinner table with the family, where he is begging her to let, uh, begging his mom to let him go out and search for Will, and she is putting her foot down. Um, the uh, mom is played by Dr. Faye from Mad Men. I noticed with a very different I, hairstyle. Yes, I wondered where I knew her from. It took me like half the episode, and then I was like, like oh, of yes. course. And great glasses on the dad, whoever that guy is. Just such perfect eighties. Yeah. You know, huge lenses. I just, what an interesting time it was. Yep. <laughs> and I, I actually, I find, I find the relationship between the dad and the, and the kids uh, to be kind of uh, entertaining. So it's like, he's just sitting back eating his chicken while yep. mom is like battling with the kids. She's, you know, she's the one putting her foot down and saying no, both to Mike, who wants to go searching for Will, and then also Nancy wants to go study with a friend who we know from our bathroom encounter is actually Steve Harrington. Yes, Um, which Mike then drops, you know, publicly, which is always a great way to ingratiate yourself with your older sister is to say. (laughs) And then the term douchebag is used, which I didn't remember from the 80s. Yeah, like, uh, that felt a little out of place. (laughs) Okay, I also thought that. I was like, I don't remember this being that big of a term in that era, but... Um, uh, but it landed, yeah. it totally... It Absolutely. Got the point across, for sure. Yeah, and the whole thing comes out that, yeah, she has a, you know, boyfriend and she wants to go meet up with him, and yeah, then everybody leaves the table in a huge, disastrous half. And there is a small baby as well, which that's the first time I think that we see her. Yes, yeah, that's true. Yeah, and uh, so mom has her hands full in this family. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I loved it. Yeah. She was like, I, I can't remember the name of the dad. I, but yeah. Let's say it's Steve. She was like, yeah. I hope you're enjoying your, your chicken, Steve. He's like, what did I do? What did I do? Yeah. Uh, so we are then um, with the sheriff and the rest of the search party who are looking for Will in the woods. And uh, I didn't catch the name of the teacher, the, the science teacher who does the AV. That's right. Who also surprised the kids with the radio earlier on. Yeah. I can't remember it either. Yeah, I don't have it. Yeah, so he is amongst the um, the searchers and he is telling the sheriff what a good student Will is and introduces himself as a science teacher at the school. And the sheriff says that he isn't really one for science, but that his daughter was really interested in, in it. And uh, he, he mentions that his daughter lives with Um, her mother in the city but when he sort of walks off a little bit one of the other searchers fills in the teacher that actually his daughter had passed away several years ago yeah so do you take that that the mom is also dead and that they're buried in the city i did not go there but that is actually really interesting I was trying to think of how you, you or that's just his, or just like you know, a easy cover. cover. Yeah, yeah, true. I did. I definitely took it at face value as, uh, or what I consider face value as the as an as a cover, which yeah. was just sort of he didn't want to talk about it or share that you know sort of intimate detail with this stranger he just met. But yeah. you know maybe you're right. Actually, I mean that it really it really could mean that I could see that for sure. Yeah, and I also thought the reference to the city was interesting because I think it helps you know, maybe he does have a background in more urban policing, which maybe would lead to kind of where his, you know, better experience comes from too, with taking a scene seriously like this. That's re- that could could really be. And we know that he grew up in yeah. talking because not yeah. only does he know Joyce by name and, and whatever, but he did talk with the teacher about one of the teachers that he had in school when he went to that's right school whatever but um but yeah i could certainly see it as you know him having moved to the city and maybe moved back to small town hawking after the death of his daughter yeah um and uh he did say actually 
um, when he was talking about the most exciting thing that's happened in Hawking, which was the owl attack, it was the most exciting thing that he had seen in his four years on the force. Right. So, uh, so yeah, I think that that's probably a good insight on your part that, you know, he probably was more of a big city cop before coming back. Yeah, I'm sure we're going to hear his background. You're probably not going to find out that his, you know, child has died and, and not hear any more about that. So totally. I expect then, him to be. Uh, of course, I like I um, I think that it's probably a, a fair jump to conclude that maybe his beer drinking first thing in the morning and yes. potentially the prescription pills, we don't know, but it may, may somehow be, be related to this sort of you know, trauma that he's had with the, the death of his daughter. So absolutely. Yep. No. Um, sure. So then we have Mike on his giant walkie talkie. The radio, I have radios are amazing. Like I just can't. <laughs> the biggest <laughs> radios uh, yeah. of all time on this show. Yeah. And I love the conversation of you have to say over after, you know, each yes. uh, yes. sentence. My brother was super into CB radios for a while, and I totally remember you had to speak in very specific languages. You can't just say whatever you want. So, yes. yeah. Uh, Mike was definitely schooling Lucas on appropriate protocol yeah. when talking on walkie-talkies. So uh, Mike is trying to convince Lucas to go out searching for Will, and he doesn't know if it's a good idea. And I love that he was like, Lucas will could have cast that protection spell <laughs> in Dungeons and Dragons, but he didn't. He cast a fireball. And yeah. uh, apparently um, in layman's terms, I think that ultimately Will pretty much sacrificed himself for the good of the group. Um, Agreed. So, uh, so Lucas was like, I'll get my bag. <laughs> that, was, uh, that was it. They're going out. Exactly. Uh, so Mike sees Steve climbing in Nancy's window when he's on his way to go meet up with uh, Lucas and Dustin. Yeah, there's a great eye contact moment there. I thought that was funny. Yeah, exactly. I really, I mean, like, so I know that we do have uh, an actual older brother, if you will, in uh, Jonathan, Will's older brother. Mm-hmm. And uh, and maybe I'm being a little too literal in my comparisons of the two, but I kind of see Steve Harrington and Nancy in particular as the um, uh, Josh Brolin role, the, yeah. you know, from the Goonies. Uh, where they somehow, where the older kids are going to somehow be roped into the adventures of the younger group. And uh, although they're kind of, you know, like reluctant and, and whatever, they're actually uh, really, you know, really into it. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and I think there's an interesting thing here too, because um, I think there's a real income disparity between Will's family and Mike's family yeah. in a sense that kids don't recognize that. But I noticed it way back at the very beginning when Joyce calls over to Mike's house to figure out if Will has spent the night there. And Mike's mom, Dr. Faye from Mad Men, she says, is he missing? And she covers for it, like as if she doesn't want to be accused of, you know, being a bad mom or, or something like that, you know, and there's such a split there because she obviously and her son like they're just gonna grab something quick on their way to work when they still think that will's okay and you know mike's whole family is sitting down to like this big breakfast where it's randomly the you know maple syrup is going on the eggs but everybody's all together and so i think there is going to be this you know big difference between you know the mom of three kids obviously everybody sits down and has dinner together and then winona Ryder's character who's trying to i think clearly hold her family together by the seams here, you know, working super, super hard. I'm assuming that's, you know, to keep food on the table. Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, like, we, we are definitely kind of given the impression that Jonathan was working that night when he should have been home with Will because... Um, they need it. They need the money. I think he he references that, right? Like, he's like, I was doing it for us or something, like, along those lines. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you've got, in one hand, you've got the worst thing that's happening in Mike's family is that, you know, Nancy's got someone climbing into her bedroom window who's going to help her study. And then, you know, poor Will's got, well, is completely missing. And they even at dinner, you know, they're like, oh, well, we're all concerned he's missing. But really, everyone's just sitting down to normal family dinner as if. Yeah. Was the search taking place by that point? Were they, I mean, like. Yeah. Like the parents obviously didn't you know, partake. And I guess they have to look after kids, but it de- it definitely seems offhanded in the way they say, well, we're all worried about him. And then, you know, Nancy makes some really flippant comment and that's what pushes 
like over the edge yeah, she, anyway, she, right? She's like, just because, you know, like Will gets lost, I'm not allowed to go out. And That's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you're right. That's, uh, you know, that's really interesting that like the difference in those dynamics for sure. Yeah. Um, so, <clears throat> uh, so we're back, we're back to the diner and, uh, and Betty gets a knock at the door and it is, uh, it's a woman who identifies herself as being the social worker who he had called earlier. Uh, as I already mentioned, it turns out that she is not in fact the social worker. He said, he's just saying, uh, how he, um, he didn't recognize her voice or her voice sounds different than then it sounded on the phone when she pulls out a gun and uh, and kills Benny. And I really liked Benny. And the really I agree. I was really sad by this one. Me too. Yeah. And I was surprised they got me. Like I me too. I really did think. I thought you know something else was going to happen. I really thought it was the real social worker. And obviously the girl was really freaked out. Like she was not happy that there was somebody there. Um, and he thought it was just because she was skittish. And then this woman looks exactly like you would think a social worker would. Totally. He even questions. He even kind of doesn't want to let her in. And then he says, you know, you arrived really quickly, faster than I thought. But, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And so and Eleven is in the kitchen and she sees this happen. So she bolts for the back door where she runs into more armed men. And uh, and then the Matthew Modine character, what what is his name again? Dr. Brenner, yes. Dr. Brenner. Yes. So he Appears. comes in with yet more armed men in the front of the, the restaurant. Uh, and then we hear like some thumps. And I don't, in my notes, I have telepathy noises. Like, <laughs> how would was you... that on the uh, closed captioning? <laughs> telepathy noises. No, it was, it was on the closed captioning. They just showed like thump thump sounds okay. or whatever but do you know what i mean when yeah. i say like it's like uh i don't know almost like a stereo right yeah feedback type deal yeah um so definitely uh 11 is back there using her telepathy on these armed men and by the time dr brenner gets back there they're unconscious and 11 is gone yeah unconscious or dead oh i don't know i just assumed unconscious but maybe that was a little yeah good call maybe i should go back and look at that one again yeah i couldn't i thought and i did only look at it the one time but i thought that maybe they had stuff in their heads but anyway regardless she obviously made a very effective escape so yeah for sure yep so she you know like we we don't know at this point um you know like sort of the extent of her powers if you will if telepathy yep. is the only thing that she can do that's sort of of a of a beyond natural ability um and the extent to which she can use telepathy etc but um she's obviously capable of more than just you know stopping a rickety fan uh, absolutely she, she took out these guys in about 10 seconds uh, so the boys are on their bikes. They're in the woods where uh, Will left his bike. And it is pouring rain and Dustin really wants to go home. But uh, <laughs> I think Dustin's the smart one of this group. Yeah. But, yes. <laughs> uh, but they uh, they sort of um, power through. Uh, meanwhile, Nancy is studying with Steve. Uh, and then it ends in a makeout session to Africa. <laughs> By Toto. By Toto. Uh, <laughs> Which then turns back into a study session as he is, you know, quite the, becomes a gentleman eventually and after know, the listens to of, her. After yeah. the suggestion of strip uh, studying. Strip studying, yeah. Uh, right. Eventually they do actually go back to studying, yeah. Yeah, she definitely um, has a strong opinion. Like, it's good to see that she's not, you know, obviously from the conversation with her friend earlier, this guy is kind of out of their league in terms of coolness. It's a completely different circle of friends. Yes. Her friend you know. says you're going to be so cool now. Yeah. Um, him. And she doesn't just kind of like give in to whatever he wants. She actually like legit does want to study and she's, while he's been able to, you know, get himself into her bedroom, it kind of, yeah, stops there. So. Yes. Uh, agreed. I, I, I definitely like that. I can't say that I'm a big Steve fan no. at this point, and to be perfectly honest, like this whole Steve and Nancy storyline at this point, I'm, um, feels a little uh, out of out of place to me. But I do think that it's going to become more relevant if, in fact, it goes where I kind of am hoping that it would go, which is that they take on like the, you know, the, the older sibling Goonies type role right. that I already mentioned. Yeah. Um, but as of right now, uh, you know, I didn't really care a whole lot about. 
No, I mean, right now, I felt like they felt like just being set up in a horror movie, you know, classic, like the world's crumbling around you and all they want to do is, you know, hang out and make out. And then, of course, they get eaten by the monster is really what like it kind of felt like it was going for a minute there. And then but yes, agreed. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense right now, but I'm more confident it'll fit into the storyline in the future. And I think you have a really good, you know, kind of theory there with them, too. Yeah, we'll see how that plays out for sure. Uh, Joyce and Jonathan are back at home and the phone rings. So Joyce picks up the phone and there's this like strange sort of static uh, breathing. um, And she is um, convinced that it is Will on the line. Uh, So she is um, yelling Will's name and getting no response. And then this alien insect sound comes on the line and uh, she, she knows that something different has, it has, is happening on the phone because she says, what have you done with my boy? And then there's like this electric charge and she gets a big shock and drops the phone. Did you get anything with the closed captioning on this? Because it is very hard to decipher what you're hearing. Yeah, so um, the closed captioning showed, um, it showed like static. It just said static and it said scrambled voice. And then every time that I'm describing it as this like alien insect type sound, the closed captioning just showed growling. Okay, um, but I, I feel like growling isn't like a really um, good word to describe the sound that we're hearing because it does feel like it definitely sounds insect-like to me, but in a way that you know is not an insect. right an actual <laughs> actual bug. Yes. Uh, yeah. So nothing, nothing really uh, in terms of a giveaway. Uh, and then when Jonathan picks up the phone after Joyce drops it, the line's just dead. Uh, and so uh, Joyce, Joyce says that he could hear, she could hear Will's breathing and she knows his breathing. She knows it was him. Yeah, because I really, I mean, there's certainly no definitive it was absolutely Will. Like, it's not a giveaway to the viewer. But, I mean, obviously she has really strong opinions of it. And there's absolutely something to be said for her knowing what he sounds like when he's breathing. And, and so when Will, when Will was calling for help, when he ran back to the house, when the creature was after him and he tried to call for help then, it was the same kind of deal when he picked up the phone where it was like static right. and he heard these like insect noises or whatever. So there's, I mean, I mean, there's, there's definitely an overlap there. What, what, yeah. it, what it means in terms of like, why the creature would be calling like i don't i don't know <laughs> uh but yeah so uh something going on with the phone and then uh we are back to the boys who are out in the woods still looking for uh will dustin still wants to go home and then uh there's a rustling in the woods and they flash their flashlight there and it is 11 who has run from the diner and is now uh in the woods and have met up with Dustin, Mike, and Lucas. Yes. End credits. That's right. Yeah, a great, I mean, obvious ending, you know, everybody is around the same age, so very shocking, I'm sure, to run into a fellow, you know, kid, who at this point is wearing, you know, much too big for her shirt from Benny, right? Like, she's out out of her hospital gown, and but still looks quite abnormal. Um... So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they make of her. For sure. And, yeah, I definitely think, like, this This was a good first episode. I am I am 100% guilty of being someone who will make very quick decisions on a show about whether it's something I, I want to continue to watch or not. So, I mean, like, if it doesn't have me hooked in the first episode or at the very most the second episode, then I'll probably give it give it up because mm-hmm. um, there's so many good shows to watch right now. And then, granted, sometimes I'll hear really good um, things about a show and I'll go back and give it a second chance. But this is one that I have to say sort of has me hooked from the beginning. Um, there's no question of the fact that I'm really looking forward to the next episode. Absolutely. No, and I think, you know, certainly I've heard – um, through friends I know who are watching and just out there in, you know, media land, um, some great coverage of it. So I know it's it's a well worth watching summer, you know, kind of adventure. So I'm looking forward to talking about the rest of them with you, Kim. For sure. Me too. And I mean, like, I think that there's a lot of questions that they set up that uh, that need some answers. I mean, I think to some kind of pretty obvious conclusions, like I think, I think obviously, you know, 11 has to be some kind of 
a test subject or, right. you know, something from this clandestine um, laboratory. It is kind of crazy to me, actually, that Hawking, being such a small town, has this giant. Yeah. And you know what? That's a good point. And we never really talked about the size of the building, but it's huge. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's multi, I don't know, 12, 15 stories or something. It looks like as they keep showing the shots of it. So you're right. It's and and the city is never mentioned, right, as to what urban center we're really close to here no so hawking itself is fictional yes um and uh it is in indiana right and obviously the um the social worker was coming from a city so there is something near enough by that would take a few hours to get to but you know is this some sort of like you know experimental cover-up thing that's out outside of an urban center but you're right the fact that it's this huge building in what is obviously an incredibly small town um where nothing ever happens will be interesting to see what that means yeah for sure well yes okay so um we are going to continue to go through the episodes um like scene by scene and talking about it uh of course this being the first episode there's lots of kind of introductory type stuff but i really think that as we go forward there's going to be a lot of stuff a lot of stuff for us to unpack and mysteries for us to talk about that uh you know we will no doubt have theories about and if anyone is listening to this after they've already watched the whole series we'll be like that's ridiculous (laughs) (laughs) that's right always listening back is but we are only watching one episode at a time so we have not spoil we won't spoil ourselves and we our theories are definitely you know from the moment in which we're watching them so right yeah it'll be interesting to see how it plays out for sure okay well thanks jess we'll uh we'll we'll try to get back together and do another one for you guys soon so hope you guys uh enjoyed our first uh, podcasting endeavor. Absolutely. Thanks guys. Thanks guys. Bye.